Abstract Gamer, Episode 1. Today I discuss the Shogi family of games in general, and Chu Shogi in particular. Hello, my name is Joe Peterson, and I am the Abstract Gamer. In this episode, I'm going to start off by introducing myself and explaining a little bit about what I hope to do with this podcast and why I decided to create my own podcast. Then I'll talk about the Shogi family of games in general, and I'll wrap up by talking about my favorite game in that family, and in fact, my favorite game overall, Chu Shogi. I actually recorded this episode once, and I got some feedback and decided to redo it. It just wasn't quite good enough. I'll make the original available for the interested, but I won't put it into the feed. Other than that previous attempt at this episode, this is my first podcast, so please give me any feedback that you think will help me improve. I've been listening to some of the other gaming podcasts and thought that podcasting sounded like a good way for me to give back to the gaming community. I'm calling it the Abstract Gamer because I'm really interested in abstract strategy games and there doesn't seem to be any other podcasts out there that that really focus on abstract strategy games. And while I will focus primarily on abstracts, I'm not going to limit myself strictly to abstracts. I'll also talk about designer games, party games, card games, the occasional RPG or computer game. I won't be discussing sports much. Something might creep in, but it's not in my current plans. Okay, well, I'll start with a quick introduction of myself. My name's Joe Peterson, and I don't really have any special qualifications to do this podcast other than the desire to do so. I've been playing games for most of my life. Uh, The first games I remember playing are Gomoku and Chess against my dad. We played a lot of card games while growing up, mostly Pitch and Pinochle, but the occasional Euchre and Spades, too. And growing up, I played Monopoly and Clue like most other American kids, but I also branched out into pretty much any other game that I could find. I played a lot of Risk in high school. In college, we played some Millborn and James Clavell's Shogun, but mostly we played Spades and Pinochle. I learned about Euro games through Magic the Gathering. I was a Magic hobbyist for several years in the mid-90s. That allowed me to meet many other gamers. I really hadn't been around anyone that I would consider a gamer before that. After being introduced to the real world of games, it became a passion of mine. I really enjoy playing designer games such as Settlers of Catan, Puerto Rico, Carcassonne, etc., but I never lost my love of abstracts. For those of you who may not be familiar with these types of games, an abstract strategy game is a game of perfect information where the theme is not integral to the gameplay. Many classic board games such as Chess, Go, and Mancala fit into this category. A purist will tell you that there can be no chance in an abstract strategy game. I'm not a purist, mostly because then I don't have a category for games that have some chance involved, like backgammon. However, the strategy element must outweigh the chance element by a significant factor. I'm sure that I could create different buckets for each type of game, but I figure there's no reason. Today I'm going to talk about the Shogi family of abstract strategy games, and I'm going to review my favorite abstract strategy game, Chu Shogi. So in order to introduce the Shogi family of games, I'm going to focus on Shogi itself. I made the assumption in the previous version of this particular podcast that people who were interested in abstract strategy games probably already knew about Chu, or already knew about Shogi. And it turns out that that apparently is not true. Shogi is a Japanese cousin to chess. They they come from similar ancestry. And the rules are very are going to be very familiar to someone who is familiar with chess. It's played between black and white, and you're, you move your pieces in an attempt to checkmate your opponent's king. The pieces are not 
figurines, however. Instead, they are flat, wedge-shaped, pointed pieces, and they have Japanese writing on it to indicate which piece it is. They are not differentiated by color, and this is important in this game because instead of capture, when you capture your opponent's piece, instead of it being dead, you can introduce that piece in a future move back into the game. So if I capture your pawn with whatever one of my pieces, instead of it going away, I have access to that, and on a future turn, I can simply, instead of moving a piece on the board, I can place this pawn down on the board and reintroduce it into play. There are some restrictions on where pawns can be introduced, and um, you can't drop into checkmate, so I can't just drop a piece and suddenly that's checkmate. Um, but So there, there are some details about where you can drop it. But it, it does add a whole new dimension to the game that chess players... You, you just can't get in chess. One thing that I think adds a lot of ambiance to the game, but makes it less accessible to new players, especially those of us in the West, is that the pieces have Japanese writing on them. And if you don't read kanji or hanywa, hanywa, I don't even know if I can pronounce that correctly, but if you don't read Japanese writing or Chinese writing, then you are going to have to do some memorization and, and learn what these pieces are. Once you learn the pieces, that's the hard part of the game. The difference between chess and shogi, while the rules are pretty straightforward, the strategy is quite a bit different. Um, in chess, you can often get a small material advantage and just kind of sit on it. And then you just kind of trade and simplify and make the, you know, the world of pieces smaller. And that just can't happen in shogi because if you capture a piece, if you trade pieces, they don't go away, they stay in your hand. So shogi is a lot more, there's a lot more focus on you have to protect your king and maneuver into a good position in order to uh, checkmate your opponent. In chess, you can often uh, just get a small advantage and really focus on material, just trade and trade and trade. And, and I think that it really adds a lot to the game that you can't do that in, in Shogi. It's played on a 9x9 nine nine board, and you have six or seven different piece types. You have the pawn, which, unlike the chess pawn, the pawn makes sense in that it steps one step forward, and it captures just like it moves. Um, you have, well, the king which can move one step in any direction, just like a chess king. And this is the most important piece on the board because if your opponent checkmates or captures this or puts it into a position where it cannot move without being captured, then your opponent wins. Um, you have the gold general, and you have two of these, and they occupy positions on either side of the king. Um, the king starts in the, in the middle back row, and then... The golds are on either side of it, and these can move one square in any direction except for the two back diagonal directions. So they can step, you know, north one square. They can step northeast, northwest one square, south, west, or east in any direction. Um, you have the silver general. Um, each you have two of these, 
and again these are on either side of the golds so they can move one square in any direction except for orthogonally left right or backwards um, the silver general if it reaches the promotion zone of your opponent which are the last three steps or last three rows yeah, the last three rows of the shogi board then it will promote to a gold general so it gets a little bit stronger when you promote when that's, that's the other thing that's different about shogi is that when pretty much every piece can promote the gold general cannot and the king cannot unlike chess chess when you get the pawn to the last rank last row um, you can promote it to any chess piece in shogi each piece will promote to a specific piece if it's allowed to promote and it promotes in any of the last three ranks the knight is very similar to the chess knight except it only goes the forward directions so it can take it can jump two you know one square forward and then one square diagonally left or right um, so it's it's like a quarter of a chess knight it can't move backwards it can't move directly you know laterally um, and if it makes it into the promotion zone then it becomes a gold general as well there's a piece called the lance and you have two of these they start on the outside corners of the board um, the lance moves any number of squares forward that's it I think of the lance as being important in that you don't want your opponent to capture these because they're pretty restricted clear on the out on the edges but once they get captured and you can drop them there they become a pretty powerful piece um, again the lance promotes to a gold once it reaches the promotion zone you have a bishop which you have one bishop and it's identical to a, a chess bishop in, in its move and that it moves any number of directions in the diagonal in the diagonal directions any number of squares in the diagonal directions um, the bishop promotes and acquires extra move in that it can in addition to moving diagonally it can take one step in any of the orthogonal directions so it can it can move just like its normal move its bishop move or it can take one step forward back left or right um, if it's promoted the rook you have one rook and um, it moves just like a rook in chess and it also gains an additional power when it moves into the promotion zone so the rook normally moves any direction orthogonally or any number of squares orthogonally so it can move north or south east or west in any number of squares and if it promotes it can also step one step into the diagonal directions um, the rook and the bishop both start in the second rank kind of a couple squares in the three squares in or I'm sorry two squares in on for those and then the whole third rank is filled with pawns you have nine pawns to start with and these promote to well essentially it's a gold but they call it a token I'm not even sure that I'm pronouncing it correctly um, but basically that that is it you know every piece can promote you can drop pieces so you can re reintroduce pieces um, it has an excellent handicapping system in that you know if you're between uh, 
one in seven grades difference in in skill, there's a good good handicap. Um, and, and so people who are familiar with chess can easily pick this up, and I, and I strongly recommend that you do. I, I think everyone who's interested in abstract strategy games should try shogi. Um, there are many forms of shogi played. The one I described here is modern shogi, which is played on the 9x9 board. Um, and there are other versions that played anywhere from a 4x5 board up to a 25x25 board. And there are even rumors of a 36x36 board that someone had played with in the past. And, and there are some attempts to try to recreate that. And those, the larger games really become insane because they take hours and hours to set up. Um, not all of the shogi variants are played with drops. Um, the smaller four uh, common games are, are played with drops, while the larger ones are not. Um, so let's see, yeah, so I mentioned there's the one board that's 4x5 and has 10 pieces. And the 25x25 board, Tai Shogi, has 355, or 354 pieces. You know, setting these up is just insane. It takes forever. And like chess and checkers, you can buy sets of varying quality. Unlike chess or checkers, you're not likely to find any of these at your friendly local game store, except for modern shogi. Um, they have very nice wooden pieces and boards available from Japan for some of the variants. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to import these, and so I haven't. Um, I did purchase my own set of wood grain plastic pieces from George Hodges, is, who is pretty much the only source of uh, shogi variant pieces in the English-speaking world. Um, there were a few few nibs that needed to be filed off, but overall the quality is great, and, and they feel really nice. I didn't purchase his vinyl boards. Um, I made my own. Um, and so basically, I guess that's all I have to say about shogi in general and the shogi variants. Um, I'll move on to talking a little bit more about Chu Shogi now. And I'll stop. So in 1998, I read about Shogi for the first time. I don't remember where, but not much later, I played my first game of it. I loved it. I, I thought it was a great game, but I couldn't find a regular opponent to play with. Uh, a month or so later, I, I read about Chu Shogi in R. Wayne Schmidtberger's book, New Rules for Classic Games, which, as a side note, is an awesome book. I really enjoy it. Um, I, I found Chu Shogi so intriguing that I made a set of my own with with a, a pen, and I cut up some trim, drew the drew the move of the pieces on it, um, made the board on a piece of cloth, just kind of used a cloth marker, and suddenly I had a board. I had trouble finding a regular opponent. Um, I was able to play a couple people just a couple times, but didn't really resonate with my friends as well as it did with me. Um, I played against Steve Evans' Shogi Variants program several times, but quickly found that it didn't pose any real challenge to me, especially after I found an opening that caused it to throw away its lion, which I'll explain what, how important that is later. My homemade board sat in a drawer for quite some time. Eventually, 
I did buy a commercial set of pieces thanks to the miracle of the internet. I was able to play it online, uh, both in real time and by email. Uh, I'm still waiting to find a regular across-the-board opponent, but I'll, I guess I'll wait for now. Um, anyway, I read up on some other siblings of Shogi, ranging from the games of tiny games of Micro Shogi to the massive games of Tai Shogi. But today I'm going to talk about Chu Shogi, also called Middle Shogi. As I mentioned before, there's probably not much new to the rules. You are moving your pieces in an attempt to capture your opponent's king and crown prince if they happen to have promoted their drunk elephant. Um, so yes, I did say capture there. Checkmate doesn't really have any meaning here because it is possible to have two royal pieces. So it's pretty straightforward. However, you do need to learn the movement of 30 different pieces. Um, the game is in the middle of the scale and is played on a 12 by 12 board. Uh, each player has 46 pieces total with 21 different piece types. Now, if you're wondering how this makes 30 pieces, many of these pieces promote into new pieces that you haven't seen uh, in the regular game. The promotion zone in Chu Shogi is the last four ranks. When you move into, out of, or within this zone, you can promote a piece. As with most, most of the Shogi variants, but not all of them, you may not demote a piece once you promote. If you choose not to promote a piece um, at its first opportunity, then you may not promote it on the next move of that piece unless it captures. So yes, this could be a bookkeeping hassle, but generally it's not a problem at all. Um, it doesn't come up very often. Chushogi is not played with drops. So like chess, unlike Shogi, when a piece is captured, it's dead. It cannot be dropped back into play. And because of this, Chushogi could be played with figurines and on a checkered board, but it's not. Traditionally, it's still played with these same flat, wedge-shaped pieces with the kanji written on it. Um, most of the pieces will be fairly familiar to people who've played chess. Um, the lion is unique and will require some special explanation. I'll actually go through a quick rundown of the Chu Shogi pieces right now. And on further review, it looks like I will not do so. I will move that recorded section to the end and so the people who are interested can listen to it, but it just has a lot of complexity that really isn't needed. I will add links to the, to the show notes on where you can find this information, but it's just too complex to go over on a podcast. The lion takes some takes some special explanation. The lion can move as in a king in shogi or chess that can take two steps in any in a single turn. So even if they both capture, it can also jump to any square that can be reached in two steps. So it can make one step forward, one step diagonal. It can make two steps forwards, etc. And it can capture on both of those. And this alone makes the lion very powerful and kind of the focus of the game. Um, to make it even more the focus of the game, there are, there are special rules that apply to the capture of the lion. Um, and in all cases, if a kylan has promoted to a lion, then it is a lion for the purposes of this rule. Um, and, and so these rules make it difficult to exchange lions. And the rules are, if an opposing lion is two steps away from your lion, then your lion can only capture that opposing lion if that opposing lion is unprotected. So there is one exception to this. Um, but if your opposing lion 
If your opponent's lion is protected, you can't take it with your lion. If your opponent captures your lion with a piece other than the lion, then you're not allowed to capture your opponent's lion right back, unless you can do so with the second lion. And, and again, you still cannot capture if, that, if the opposing lion is protected. So yes, you, it is possible to have two lions by promoting your, your Kylan. So yeah, I mean, that's what it's referring to as the second lion there. If you are in a position to make a double capture with your lion, the first piece captured, or if the first piece you capture is, some, is not a pawn or a go-between, then you can capture the lion even though it is protected. So if you can make a double capture, you are allowed to do so. You are allowed to capture the lion even if your lion can be taken right back. Alright, so you still with me here? That's the only rule that's actually a little scary, and it's it's not even quite complete, but it's close enough. Um, so you can see from that that the lion is quite a powerful piece, and the rules preventing them from being traded makes them makes them really they are the focus of the game. Chushogi and the other larger cousins really are the war game of abstracts. You know, they generally take a long time to set up and a long time to play. They are big, and they have a, a lot of maneuvering of your armies. When I use a timer, I struggle to keep my Chushogi games to two hours per player. And it's a two-player game, so it's a four-hour... So I struggle to keep my, my moves in two hours out of the four hours that are allotted for the game. It's a very strategic game with several opportunities for tactical skirmishes that occur primarily in the middle and end of the game. And, and this is one of the reasons that I prefer this over some of the other large variants, is that it has a very strong strategy element, but it allows you to, do, to use your tactical abilities to good effect. One thing that I find interesting is, uh, in games is how unforgiving some games are to a, a poor play. This can add tension to some games like checkers, you know, or it can add too much stress in other games. And I, I haven't had a found a good single term for it, but if you if you know what I what to call this other than you know tension, go ahead and write me an email. I, I'd love to hear it. Abstractgamer at gmail dot com. Um, I, I'll I'll probably give it a focus that concept of focus in one of the future shows. Chu Shogi is fairly forgiving in the beginning, simply because even the best players still make a lot of blunders of varying degree. And this is simply because there's a lot going on. Later in the game, you have to start worrying about time, and, and then that adds a whole other level of blunders made. When played without a timer, there are fewer blunders, but they still do occur, especially by me. Um, but plunders aside, whoever makes the most efficient use of their moves when positioning their armors, armies will usually get to choose the first theater of battle, and that can be a big advantage if you plan your attack correctly. In the beginning of the game, you need to maneuver your forces to where you want them to be positioned, maybe sending in a small attack to try to gain a little material or to throw off your opponent's game. And uh, one thing that is interesting is, although the lion is the strongest piece on the board, it doesn't see a lot of action in this phase. It, it's generally the first piece moved, and it sits out in front of your pawns to exert a lot of influence in the region that it can reach. It's, it's, it's really quite fascinating. You know, some of those, some of you who are unfamiliar with the game, you might, might hesitate to believe me. In chess, 
you're not going to move your queen out in front of your pawns as soon as possible just to exert influence. She usually hides among your other pieces to keep her protected. However, the lion really is powerful enough that it can and should lead the attack by being out in front of the pawns. Anyway, once your pieces are positioned, you you engage your opponent. You know, the goal in the mid game is to gain a little material and make a path to to get your lion into your opponent's territory while simultaneously trying to create a moat so that your opponent can't get their lion into your territory. This idea of creating a moat deserves its own strategy article and I could talk about it for quite a while, but basically it's creating a zone where your opponent cannot simply jump into your territory with their lion, but have, has to go through this uh, region that's completely protected and it has to be at, at least too deep in order to prevent the lion from jumping over it. Um, and so when you're engaging your opponent, you have to try to break through your opponent's moat, um, which means that you generally have to have several minor pieces to pave the way. And in this whole process, you are trying to kind of get ahead on the ranged movers. That is, the pieces that can move across the board in a single move, like bishops and chess and, and uh, bishops and rooks in chess. This will kind of give you this feeling of air superiority, is, is what it's been called before um, in other articles, where you, you can move wherever you want on the board while limit, your opponent is more limited. Um, another respectable goal in the mid-game is to you know, promote some of the mid-level pieces into more powerful pieces. And, and so right there, in this couple minutes you know, rant on what you do at the mid-game, there are three potential strategic objectives that I just listed, and I know there are more that I haven't talked about. I love having choices. Anyway, in the end of the game, at the end game, you're trying to use, you know, what you hope you've gained a superiority in force. Uh, you know, either in a, either in a particular theater or overall on the board, and you use the superiority to break up your opponent's army and expose his king and capture it. As I mentioned before, check and checkmate have no meaning in Chushogi. You do not need to move to save your king. And this is important because it is possible to have two royal pieces by way of promoting your drunk elephant. And if you get that second royal piece, you can sacrifice a king. I have yet to see a crown prince, which is the promoted drunk elephant. I have yet to see a crown prince except when playing against a computer. But I've gotten close. And my opponent had to spend a lot of time maneuvering away from my king to deal with this drunk elephant that was getting close to promoting into another crown prince. If I had gotten the crown prince, it would have been, you know, that much more difficult for him to win the game. If you are, you know, if you weren't skillful enough to get a superior force in the coming into the end game, then you can focus. Your, your pieces and send in the forces, the, all the forces you can muster to try to gain kind of a local superiority so that you can take advantage of that before your opponent can take advantage of the overall superiority that he has. Now, I love this game. The, the lion capture rule takes some special attention, but I can really live with it because the depth of strategy and tactics that you really get in the game from the lion. I rate this game a, a 10. It's the only one that gets a solid, firm 10, 
And I love this game. Have I said that before? Um, as far as I'm concerned, it has everything it needs except for the player base and popularity that it deserves. It is a game of pure skill where two players engage in single combat. When I play it, my sense of gestalt is satisfied. It seems complete to me. It has a it has a decent handicapping system. You know, even if the handicapping system isn't fully understood yet. And what this means is that I can play with people, my non-chess playing opponents, and still have an interesting game. If you like abstract strategy games that are deep and wide, you'll probably like this game. I will put a little caveat, though. If you don't like abstract strategy games, you should stay away from this. It is big, it has a lot of pieces, uh, though not as many as Taishogi, and it takes a, a lot of maneuvering of your armies to get into position. If you like that, then this really is the game for you. Now, in my final segment, I'm going to review feedback and talk about information uh, that's, that's applicable now, but might not have any real meaning in the future. If you're catching, catching up, and I'm already three or four episodes ahead of the, this segment, then there's probably not much reason for you to listen to any of this feedback. Uh, this being one of my first shows, the first show actually being recorded, re-recorded, I don't have much feedback yet. Um, I hope that this episode corrects all of the issues that were brought up before from the previous attempt at this podcast. You can, if you have any feedback, send it to me at abstractgamer at gmail.com. I have found some some decent music, and I I really am happy about that. Um, but it's it's still not quite right. I, I'm going to make a, a request for some specialized music from the, the same person who did the music for this. Um, but if anyone who is interested and has any skill in this, please let me know. Perhaps we'll use your music instead. Okay, so please join me next time when I will discuss handicapping in the first segment. And I will talk about the gift project games in general in the second segment. Um, I I have recorded this episode already, but it turned out to be a little over two hours, and so it's too long. So I'm probably going to split it up and break it up a little bit. And I think right now what it looks like is I'm going to talk about the GIF project overall and probably the game GIF itself. And then in future episodes, use my discussions on the other games um, that are in that same project. In the meantime, keep playing games and have fun. Thanks for listening. Music by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 2.0 http colon slash slash creative slash licenses slash by slash two point oh